and um, God is just speaking to us again today through his word. And so, by God's grace, everything I say will come from what we're talking about right here in this text. Amen? Verse 14, everybody there say amen? Amen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, say in love, may have strength, have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, I like that, what is the breath and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This section of scripture is the precursor to what he's about to talk to in chapter 4 and in the rest of the book. And it's a very, very interesting section because Paul does not usually pray in the middle of a book. He usually prays in the beginning. It's usually lengthy. And then he'll usually pray at the end of a book, usually being more of a doxological blessing, um, a, a, a praise of, a, a, or an invocation of blessing to God's people. But here... <clears throat> In between um, what some would call orthodoxy and orthopraxy, um, what he has done is he has inserted a prayer. And I, and I don't think it's done by accident. I don't think it's done by mishap. It, it's a very, very pointed prayer. And it's different than his first prayer that he prayed in chapter 1, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. <laughs> and so it, it, today it reminds me of a, a very, very, our message today reminds me of a very, very um, popular Christian curriculum that thousands upon thousands of Christians have been impacted by. I mean, people are still, um, still going through this particular curriculum, and, and, and it's impacted. Um, guys in prison have met Jesus through it. Um, people have grown in their faith. People have, been, have gotten clarity and called a ministry. God using that particular curriculum to help their direction get pointed. The name of that curriculum is called Experiencing God. Um, and, and everyone who either has gone through or heard about Experiencing God remembers one statement, one, one statement that marks them, that, 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 that kind of marks the series for, um, for, for them. Um, this statement Henry Blackaby makes, it says, instead of asking God to join you where you want him to work, find out where God is working and join him. I like that be, be, because that's such a, a biblical idea of how God's nurture, God nurtures people and directs them. Um, the former part of that phrase shows the nature of our selfishness in wanting God on our team versus wanting to be on God's team. And he's the captain, the coach, and the owner of the team. Therefore, he gives comprehensive direction to the people of God. So here today, we're going to talk about a subject um, today that, 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 that's based on what we just talked about. I want to talk about for a little while identified by experiencing Jesus. Identified by experiencing Jesus. If you, if you um, got a seat beside you, some more people coming in, lift your hand up so they can just see that there's a seat beside you. Um, but but, but this, is, this is a very, very important idea that, that we want to work through and, and really want to get a key note in our souls on, if you will. You with me? And so, and so this idea of experience can be a controversial term for Christians because experience usually is reduced to an aspect of experience versus the whole of an experience. And so, and so experience usually, and, and I believe that um, there are a, all of these ways that I'm about to mention are very, very good ways of defining or uh, looking at experience, but they're not the center of experience. They're a, they're, they're a symptom or an outgrowth of the way we're going to talk about experience today. Some people would say experiencing God points to God doing a miracle or a sign or a wonder. Um, some would say it's from sensing the peace of God in their soul. When, In other words, there's no, there's no um, which I believe in all of those things, signs, wonders, miracles, 
um, peace of God. Some people will, will just say it's just getting in his word, and when you understand what he says, that's experiencing God, and that's all you need. And, and, all, and all, of those are, all of those are very, very important things, I think, and God uses all of those throughout the biblical corpus. However, um, it's, it's interesting that even some Christians don't believe that you can experience God. That, that, that God has already laid out his experience of what it looks like, and that's been shut down. So experiencing God is over. You just got to read his word and walk with him. And so as we dive into today, we're going to see how Paul prays differently, but in complement to his first prayer. <clears throat> his first prayer was about intimacy and depth in your relationship with God. Now he talks about that this relates to depth. It relates a little bit to intimacy, but it relates more to experiencing God. And, and I was actually rocked by the way in which he laid that out. So he begins his prayer in, in, in very, very unique ways. And again, our point today is just the title, Identified by Experiencing Jesus. That's our point. Write it down and you can take notes after that. So we're just going to go line by line. He says, for this reason. So, so what he does is, 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 is in light of what he said previously, for this reason, what came before it, what came before it? Well, if you remember back last week that we ended on, it ended on in verse 11. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose, talking about the fact that Christians, uh, uh, that the manifold wisdom of, uh, of God is displayed through the church to invisible beings, both um, elect angels and demons. But then he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in, G in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. I like that. So now, he, 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 so when he says, for this reason, for that reason, the fact that we have boldness and access and confidence to God through Jesus Christ, he's now saying, for this reason, I'm going to pray. Now, I'm not going to just tell you about the access. I'm not going to just tell you about the boldness. I'm not going to describe the two of those by confidence merely. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be obedient and apply what that looks like in prayer. And so now, he, in the middle of the book, he prays. He says, for this reason, this, this, this next thing is, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, when this idea of bowing, and when we, when we um, reschedule our how to spend time with God, I'll talk to you more about the multiple postures in prayer throughout the biblical corpus. But Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. I, it's interesting that he would say in his prayer to a people that's not with him while he's in prison, and he writes the letter, and within the framework of his prayer, he describes a posture, if you will. And, th and the idea of this posture points to a beautiful concept of not just the posture of your legs, but the posture of your heart. He says, I bow my knees towards the Father. He he's showing great humility. He's showing great humility. This idea, kneeling in the ancient world, could signify subordination to God, servility to God, worship to God, as well as being in the posture of a suppliant before God. And so as, 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 we, look at, as we look at this, Paul is talking about the posture of his, of his heart and, and the humility that he wants to have, and, 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 and so that he's not coming and, and, and things aren't feeling like he's bogarting God with what he wants only, but wants to align himself with God. See, prayer is not the dictation of your will to God. It's your alignment with it. <clears throat> prayer is not the dictation of your will to God. It's the alignment with it. So he comes with a posture of humility. I, I used to like the old deacon prayers back in the day, man. When the deacon would get before and they do devotions, and before they do devotions, devotions mean they're going to do a mini praise and worship before the big praise and worship. So, you know, 15 minutes before the gathering start, the old heads would come up, and they'd be like three, four mics, and they'd be like a quartet up that joint. Then the head deacon would stand up and say, Oh, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then one of the other deacons would say, Well, and then the deacon would say, I'm, I'm glad that the four corners of this room wasn't the four corners of my cooling board. And then another dude say, yeah, Lord. And then, they say, then he says, I'm so glad, God, that, 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 that I just come before you today, uh, 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 head bowed and body bent. I like that. Head bowed and body bent. Now, he's not bent at all, but he's talking about his posture. 
He's talking about the posture that he's calling the people of God who got to serve us early enough for devotions, the real committed ones, right? They got there. That's what they meant. They said, glad y'all came and y'all committed. But, but, but it, was, it was a calling of the community to a particular prayer posture before God. And Paul is talking about this posture and how he comes. It's interesting <coughs> that Paul in, the, in, verse, in verse 12 will say, he'll say, we have boldness, we have access, we have confidence. But then he starts talking about humility. How in the world can you have boldness and access and confidence and don't come in? God, I said in Jesus' name, I command you, God. You. And then it's like, yo, who, like, who you talking to? You know what I'm saying? God, like, he, ain't, he ain't talking to me. Now, yelling is okay. You can yell. I, I like yelling prayers, right? Nothing wrong with that. However, but when, when prayer becomes a demanding command before God versus you having serenity of soul enough to say, God, I bow before you in my heart. I posture myself in a way where I'm thankful for the access. So I come boldly because Christ has made a way through his blood. I come with confidence and I take advantage of the access, but I don't act like you're not holy. I, 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 I functionally recognize there's some cats before have fallen asleep coming into your presence. And I know that that's not a reality for me. However, I still recognize that that pointed to how beautiful, how holy, and how powerful, and how strong you are. So he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of um, The Matrix. I don't know if y'all, you know, maybe heard of that movie. But in The Matrix, you know, Neil, I like the outfits too. The leather outfit with the glasses. You know, Morpheus just put his on like this. And then they all walked up to the oracle, you know, and, you know, Morpheus, you know, coming to the elevator and carrying on. And they go up to the oracle and Katz is holding, you know, doing stuff in the room and balls are going around. And he's going like this. And, you know, some kid, you know, kids going, doing all kinds of stuff. Then there's one little boy, little bald head cat. You know what I'm saying? He was, he's doing this. He's been in a spoon, was going all like this and carrying on. And then he gave Neo the spoon. Neo grabbed the spoon and was like, And trying to move the spoon. And he looked at Neo. He says, I find that when I am trying to bend the spoon, actually it's not the spoon that's bending, but it's me. I like that. Because when you go before God in prayer, you're not trying to bend him. See, we think God is a bendable God. We think we can get God in a chokehold. I wish I had time. We think we can get God in a knee bar or the figure four leg lock or something, a, 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 a rear naked choke. If we can't get God, God ain't in the UFC. You listen, God is, listen, listen, ask Jacob what happens when you wrestle with God. <laughs> ask him, ask him, ask him what happens. Listen, God, God will giggle at you, tickle you and snap your neck and wake you back up and say, are you okay? <laughs> listen, nobody, nobody can tap God out. Let me, just, let me just let you know that. So, so your posture needs to change when you go before God. Now, because all of us, usually when we pray, we got an idea. We got a list. And, and I find myself being changed more by prayer than trying to see things changed through prayer. Because most of the time, if I'm changed in prayer, then guess what happens around me? <laughs> and you got the rest of it, right? And so Paul, in writing this, and we're moving on through the verses, he He's writing while in prison. Think about that. He's in prison. He's in prison. Did I say that he's in prison? He's in prison interceding for other people. Now, if I got locked up, I'm just if I got on lockdown, you know, I'm going to be, I want a Peter situation, you know. I want to, you know, up in Acts, you know, where y'all pray and the door is just open. You know, I walk out and knock on the door and the homegirl think I'm a ghost because she thought I was dead, right? Like, I'm, I want a situation where I'm expecting for people to turn their attention toward my need. See, most of the time when we're going through something, <coughs> we want people to turn towards our need, especially when you come around others and you're going through something. What's going on? Oh, you know. And so you're trying to draw people in to ask you more so you can just dump on them. <laughs> and, it's, and, and there are times for that. There are times for that. But it's interesting that in the midst of Paul's suffering, he found time to see the purpose of it 
and to utilize suffering to the advantage of an open heaven and an open mouth for others. Isn't that amazing? How, have you ever gone through a difficulty and saw the, and, and begin to, to, to just pray for yourself and not intercede for others? So that's what I like about Paul is he sees what it's like to experience God in the midst of his suffering, but then he has enough gall to spend 99.9% .9 of his prayer time praying for other people. Powerful. <laughs> so we move on. And then he says, from, from, from whom every, <coughs> talking about the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. This is powerful. So he, he's, saying that, uh, he's saying that no one's existence is by accident. Like some, like, like some people, you know what I'm saying, um, in, in, in the Bible, got named by God specifically verbally from him, right? Name the child, so on, so on, such and such. But here Paul expands the theology of naming and said that, listen, your name and your family, clan, that whole idea came from God sovereignly putting you exactly where he wanted you to be. If your name is Shaquita, God named you. He named you. I'm just letting you know. And what's interesting about that is he's talking about and praying about God putting people and having them exactly where he wants them to be. And so if you got a dysfunctional family, God placed you there for a reason. If you got a frustrated, listen, everything in your life, Paul's saying, Paul starts off the prayer by blessing God. And as he blesses him, he talks about, he, he blesses God with impact on others by saying, yo, where, where you are and where God has placed you was by his design and his design only. So there's no family redeemed or unredeemed that's not what God wants them to be. But then he goes forward and he begins to say, he said that according to the riches of his glory, I like that. That's a good focus in the prayer. He's about to get into the meat and potatoes of experiencing God. <coughs> but, but, but what's interesting is he talked about the riches of his glory. In other words, everything that has been talked about about Jesus Christ how, how we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, meaning him, and everything that comes with the gospel and the resources that he brings by being the key of David and the seed of Abraham. All of those things come, 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 come covenantally to us, but then he says, for his glory. I like that. Be, 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 because because he, he begins centering the prayer of whatever riches, this is a good prosperity prayer. This is good prosperity here. See, there's some bad prosperity, but this, let's talk about some positive prosperity. He says, all of the riches that make Jesus rich, I, I, and for his glory, I want that, that to be the conduit for what comes to you. So, so, so the glory of God is the center of the prayer. He wants it to be according to the riches of his glory that, that he may what? That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is the, now, now he begins... Now, begin, now he's talking about what it looks like to actually experience Jesus. Now, now he gets into the meat and potatoes of it. Now, that he may grant is beautiful because it points to the fact that God gives something, you don't snatch nothing. Let me say that again. God gives, you don't snatch. So you don't say, well, snatch your blessing down. What you going to snatch from God? Look at me. What are you going to snatch out of his hand? He's waiting right there. Just get it. Jump and get it. Now, listen. That you're not going to snatch nothing from God. Listen, listen it, it ain't going to even be a tug of war. Like, 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 but he says that he may grant something to you. What's beautiful is, is, is there's this in the language of the fact that the person that's the recipient has nothing to do with being given to him. But then he says that he may grant to you strength with power. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It, it, it would seem that this would have a redundance to it. To, to, that he may grant you strength with power, but that it may be rich and it may give glory to God. That's the character of what, his pray, what he's praying for. He says, I want it to be based on God's real resources. I want it to be to the glory of God, and, and, I, and I want you to know you ain't got nothing to do with it. But then he says that he may grant to you strength with power. Strength here is an interesting term being used here. The word here for strength means health to become powerful or, or to become strong and have force to grow in strength. And so he wants to strengthen you with power. Power, uh, this, this is what the role of the riches are for. The role of the riches of God's glory is to, for us to be strengthened 
with power. The prayer and the role of these riches is that we would be strengthened with spiritual power or supernatural power. There are other strengths out there, but Paul prays that we would have supernatural strength. It reminds me of the idea in Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is, he's, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall be exhausted, fall exhausted. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's energy that's based on a weak person. In other words, strength and power that God gives always demand you to be in a weakening state to receive it. But if you're strong, God can't use you because God has to get the glory out of everything he does. So the center of experiencing God is to be strengthened with power based on the riches that glorify God. Only riches that glorify God are the strength that strengthens you with power to make you comprehensively healthy. But guess where the riches go? In your inner being. He didn't, he didn't so, 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 so he, he zones in on what his prayer is about. He, his prayer is about the soul of the people of God being nurtured and transformed. That, that, that's what he's zooming in on. That's what this, that's what this idea takes place. And he'll, he'll walk through specifically what it looks like in a second to experience God. And so this idea of, 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 of him working in our inner being pulls back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, so we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Wow. So even though you get some wrinkles, you try to put on oil of Olay, it will help you look younger too. Miss some of y'all on that one. But as your outside is wasting away, God's goal is that there would be growth in oppositional incrementation of renewal based on the decay of the physical body. So as you go down, a part of you goes up. Wow, that's interesting. That they're going day by day. God wants to grow us day by day. Most of what God wants to do is in you, not on you, and before you. Let me say that again. Most of what God wants to do for you is not, is not around you. It's in you. See, this is good divine purpose right here. Because most of the time, divine purpose has to do with a destination. But God will be a bad steward if he puts you in a destination without soul transformation. See, 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 God is not going to squander what he wants to do through somebody by putting them prematurely there before they're ready. And so what he wants us to do in this understanding of being identified, um, identified by intimacy, I mean, by, by experiencing Christ, one of the central ways we experience God is not through external means, but soul means. So God is after your inner being. He's after the real you. He's positionally transformed you by saving you. That means, that means if you sin and something, you, you, heaven is open. You're, you're, you're going to spend eternity with God. But now we're talking about the process of sanctification. And sanctification is the place where we experience God the most. But the, the sanctification is the process by which God grows us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And so then he goes in and begins to talk about what that looks like. What does it look like to experience God? This is heavy in the sense of not deep heavy, but man, for, 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 for our idea. He says in verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is great. This is, this is great. Now, he's not talking about justification. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you repented of sin, trusted him as Savior, he, he and accepted his death on the cross, you're saved. Now, why would he say that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith if he's already told them they're saved? This word dwell is an interesting word. This word dwell, I like the way Horner describes it. Harold Horner says it means to settle down, to make at home. In other words, for Christ to dwell in your heart, that means that he's able to settle in to everywhere in your heart. 
and make himself at home in your heart. Now, I know that when people come on my house, I say make yourself at home. But you got to understand what we usually mean when we say that. When we usually mean say make yourself at home, that means that you don't cook up everything in the crib and eat immediately. That means don't walk around in your drawers in my house. I'm just being... There are, I mean, in other words, when you say, I'm just being real, like, when I, wait, listen, when someone says make yourself at home, they say, I want you to feel like this place is yours, but don't act like it, really. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling the truth, right? But then you'll say, man, you know, they, you know, they be, and so, but, but, but this, that's the same way we are with Jesus in our hearts. See, Jesus wants to make himself at home in our hearts. He, he wants to be at home. But, but, but what we do is, is, for, is for us, we, we, we have limitations on how deep we want to go with Jesus. We, we do every last one. Listen, I'm telling you, you're a liar if you, you, don't, you listen, you're a liar if you, if you think I'm not telling Every one of us have relational dysfunction with Jesus Christ. Every last one of us, where God is having to confront us and develop our attitudes, actions, and associations, not by moralism, but by comprehensive change. So Christ must be the controlling factor in our attitudes and con conduct. And one of the things I like about Jesus Christ when it comes to selling down, he's sovereign. He's omniscient, omnipotent, the whole, and omnipresent. But he's a gentleman. And there, he will bring suffering your way. He will, he will open doors for you on the outside of you. But he won't open doors on the inside of you. He's given that key to you. Jesus says, and, and to the Laodicean church, they were lukewarm folk. He says, yea, though I stand at the door and knock, if any man would open, I, I will come in him and he will sup with me and I will sup with him. Most of us use that for evangelism. That has nothing to do with evangelism because he's talking about God's people. And so he's saying that you have excommunicated me from community. You, you have exercised church discipline on me. He says, can I come back in and hang out? <laughs> and he said, he said, he said, you've gotten me away from here. He says, I'm how in the world is that Jesus' church and he got a knock to get back in? Listen, but he's not going to kick down the door like with the SWAT team. He's not going to like knock down the thing and some of the Holy Spirit, okay, they come and drawing their guns, some of some. All right, it's a close clean, they got lasers. No, he don't do that. He just, dunk, 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 dunk. I mean, Jesus is, like I told him in the earlier, so he's like Dracula. He is. Dracula can't come in the house until you invite him in. Jesus in court, our, our heart is made up of not only the door to get in, Jesus is already in there. But it's also made up of a lot of rooms that we've drywalled and create. We studded and drywall and got doors and all types of locks on them that are closed off to the Lord. And he wants to get in there. And he's not going, listen, he is not going to kick down the door. He wants to, he wants to, in a very, very gentleman way, get into the uncharted areas of our soul. That's, he wants to be at home in every room in our house. He wants to be at home in every place in our heart. What areas of your heart? This is what it means at the core to experience God. At the core to mean experiencing God is for Jesus Christ to saturate the entirety of our hearts. And that takes a lifetime. Then he jumps, start, then, he, then, then he takes us forward in glorification. But right now we're in the struggle of it. And so Paul's prayer is that our experience of God will be the true transformation and development of our souls, of allowing every single area of our life to be opened up to him. Um, my former next-door neighbor does extermination for us here. <clears throat> One of the things that he always tells us before he comes in, always, he always tells us this. He says, before I come in, he says, I just need to know, are all the doors open? He said, because... I can't really do the job of extermination I need to do if you don't open up everything to me. Now, you got to understand, it was real embarrassment when we first bought the building. Uh, it was embarrassing. I mean, it was mice living. It was colonies. They, this was like a planet for them, right? Um, they were, it, it was, I mean, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, y'all got to understand, I'm, I was like, I, you know, I'm a dude, but I was, I, I had this, you know, 
I, I, you know, flying roach. I mean, you know you got a problem if a roach flying by. What's up, man? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> In the basement. We, listen, when we used to have man to man, it was a mouse that used to come out and listen. Fellas, am I, listen, am I lying? He used to come out and sit on the thing. Like, I got my cheese and my milk. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, but, but when he came in, I'm going to tell you when he came in, he opened up a thing, and, and this section of the building was just going like this. See how you feel? See how you feel? It was just like, it was just, I was just, don't show me. I was just like, don't show me. Don't show me. You know what I'm saying? But I was so embarrassed that the facility was like, it's not like that no more. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I knew y'all was like, okay, in that story, like, what's happening? What's the update? We'll raise a, do an offering, Pastor. Um, <laughs> we'll take care of that real quick. But, but what, he, what he wanted to do was he didn't want to partially exterminate anything because the problem would still infest all of the other rooms all over again. That's what we need to do with Jesus. Open up every door in our soul for him to get to work. Because he wants to excavate and exterminate everything that's not like him. That's what it means for Jesus to be at home. That's what it means to be, for Jesus Christ to be at home. To be at home in your heart, to be at home in my heart, is, is the real reality of these crevices. And what's beautiful about being a Christian, this is not depressing. It's exciting. It's exciting for Jesus to enter new frontiers of us because we, he wants to have a functional, great relationship with us. Not just positionally, but practically. <laughs> and, so, and so Paul is praying for this for the people of God to see this happening happen in their lives in a beautiful way. And he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, what? By faith. There it is, a gospel term that points to the fact that everything that happens in our life is by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, and those who come before him must know that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith. The greatest thing that you can believe God for is taking over your soul. That's the, that's the greatest thing for God... Not just believe in God for a wife or a husband or car or some money. Believe him for this. But believe that he can transform it and tear us up in a beautiful and beautiful good way. And it's exciting. Because when I look at what I was hiding after Jesus Christ got to it and cleaned it, I, I mean, I couldn't. I remember when I first got married. I was kind of an ogre when it comes to just the atmosphere. I'd leave dishes for, you know, a little bit, you know, um, you know, reuse plates, you know, just crazy, like stuff. You'd be like, dang, fam, you, 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 you know, when I got married, <clears throat> when I got married, my, uh-uh, no, you didn't. Uh-uh, chief, getting, and getting everything worked up and clean. That's what Jesus Christ wants to do. But what's funny about it is once I saw how things could be, I couldn't go back the way I was. I said, um, you messed me up right there. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, ex because now if I see it, I'm like, ah, oh! but back then I was like, this is cool, me, you know. And so when Jesus cleans up different areas of your life and you've experienced cleanliness, it's very difficult to go back to being an ogre. Uh, 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 and, so, and so he moves on and talks about what now, what's the result of this? What happens as you open up different areas of your soul and, and, and Jesus Christ goes in and cleans it? Now, this happens both in small increments and overall at the same time. What he's about to say, this is powerful. And this is the center, again, of experiencing Jesus. He says, the purpose of this is that, the B part of verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Stop there. Now, this love here, of course, he's going to talk later about us loving other Christians. That's not what he's talking about here. His prayer here is, is, is a little bit different than what he's going to talk about in chapter 4. And he's going to talk about 
uh, um, 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 in chapter 5 and talk about in chapter 6. What he's going to talk about in loving your wife. But it's all rooted in the ability for this experience of God to happen in your life that prepares you for everything that he's going to tell you to apply in the rest of the book. From loving other Christians to loving your wife uh, to wives loving your husbands. And all of that comes from this right here. Experiencing God has impact. Experiencing God in your heart has impact and saturation on every area of your life. So rooted. Say rooted. Rooted here is, in a, is, is a perfect passive, meaning that it, it already happened positionally, but it has continued results right now. But with passive meaning, you didn't do it for yourself. It was done for you. Now, when, he's, when, he, when, he, when he uses this idea of rooted and grounded, these are two different ideas from an illustration and metaphorical standpoint. See, root points to farming illustration, digging and working and getting dirty and planting something new where something was uprooted. <laughs> but, 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 but then the whole grounded thing means in the place where something was removed, there's a foundation built and there's a development um, for in the place where God removes something, he replaces it with something better. In the place in your life where God removes something, he replaces it with something better. In, in the place in your life where God removes something, he always does it better. Get in. Get in. Tear down the Asherim pole and the altar of Baal. Remove them. And in the same place where you used to worship those other things, in the same place where you used to give sacrifices, in the same place where you used to bow your knees and bow your head and commit yourself, I want you to build a place of commitment to me in the same place. I'm not stopping you from worshiping, but I'm changing who and what and where and how you worship. So when God, God listen, listen, we need to stop being afraid of what God's going to find out that he already knows. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and what happens is, is, is I'm telling you, this is not a depression time. This is a time to say, God, I'm excited for the spring cleaning project. Come on in and do your work. But notice what he qualifies both with. He says rooted and grounded in love. It's good. Because now he's talking about the idea of love being the thing that we're rooted and grounded in. What he means here is not just us loving others. But in, 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 he, he wants that to be applied later or be obedient to later. But here he, he's talking about an identity issue. He's talking about rooted and grounded in knowing that you're loved by God. Rooted and grounded in most of our issues come from confusion with our lover. It's love confusion. And that's why we have spiritual affairs all the time. Because we don't think God loves us. And we don't think he's enough. So we dive into things that, that never, they never helped you. They never satisfied you, but you keep doing it. And God is, God is like, I'm already here. I got all you need, but I'm not going to give you all you want when you want it how you want it. Because love is more than what you want. We're going to talk about that in a second. But what's powerful about God's love and what's glorious about God's love is it brings identity and it brings comfort and it brings peace and it brings life and it, and it, and it makes you not want to be anybody else but like Jesus. That's what the love of God does. It transforms. He wants us rooted and grounded in it. He wants us rooted in it, attached to it. But he also wants us building upon it in our lives. That's, that's a beautiful thing for us to be clear that God loves us and us not. See, I, I, know, I know what most of us used to the dating scene where we're trying to make somebody like us. If I do, let me make sure I hide this so that she can like and he can. And so what happens is you're not really loving the person. You're loving the lie that they presented to you until you get married and you find out, oh, my God, all the stuff you didn't know. Now you got to love the real them. Am I right about it, Pastor Larry? Amen. So what happens is. He's our counselor here, so I had to ask him. Crazy, right? Crazy. But God wants us to be rooted and grounded in being, I, that, 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 listen, don't come here and try to be nothing. Just come here. That's what he's, just come on over here. I mean, he takes you in. He's, ooh, you stink, but we can take care of that. You're foul, but we can take care of that. You're raggedy, but we can take care of that. But listen. I, I, the, but, 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 it's, but when I pick the crust off of this thing right here, it's going to hurt. It's going to create a sore. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put some ointment on it, and I'm going to work on it. But it's going to hurt. I'm going to give you some shots, too. And it's going to hurt. But guess what it's all in? Love. That, that gives life so much perspective when you know God. 
stops you. You know, because you don't want to, you, you stop people pleasing then. You stop people pleasing. Because you know, you say, I ain't got to impress nobody. Because you know you love. See, and if you, let me just give you a, a sidebar. That's very attractive if you're not married. If you know who you are in Jesus, even if you're ugly. Now, they are ugly and cute people. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. There's some of us that got some varying levels of facial art, right? I'll call it that, right? But if a person, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> the elder's going to sit me down after this, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but what happens is if a person, they just settle. Ladies, y'all know it's true. He just confident. His shoulders broad. He walking. And he confident in Jesus. Placadokin. Rooted. Telling you the truth. Yeah, but write that down in your notes. You know if you, with the art of your, you know. So get your love weight up. Verse 18. Verse 18. Verse 18, I love y'all so much. All of God's people are cute. <laughs> Verse 18. <laughs> May have strength. Come back. It has, the Bible talks about the way people look. Rachel, Leah, y'all know I'm telling the truth. The Bible even say somebody looks nice and they don't. Like 18. May have strength and have strength to comprehend with all the saints. A community, a collaborative effort here textually, right? He says, may have strength to comprehend with all Christians what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth. Interesting. Now, what's funny about this is he says, I want you to have, be able to comprehend this. But then listen what he says in the next verse. He says, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So how in the world does he pray that you would comprehend it, yet not understand it? And you'll never be able to understand it. Is that crazy? That seems con contradictory, but it's complimentary. There, there, there's a sense in which, I don't know if you've ever been in worship. And you start hearing them attributes jumping up on there, and God just overwhelms you with the fact that you know he's bigger than what that word says and conveys to you mentally, emotionally, and volitionally, but there's something outside of that word that's more massive that makes you break down in tears. That's good worship there. That's when you in. That's what call, that's when, that's when you that's what we call being you in, right? Now, but there's still a sense that you know that it surpasses your knowledge. That's what breaks you down because you're steadily trying to wrap your mind around it, but it's still out of your reach, yet in some way, shape, or form, God is giving you a soul trailer of his character, but it's still beyond what you saw in the trailer because the movie of who God is is way more massive than the trailer that you're getting. See, right here in this verse, he's experiencing God has, has this at its core for us is that, that he wants us to know the love of Christ. That's the past. Now, let me tell you something about the love of Christ. I don't like it. I don't like it sometimes. Because God loves me a lot of times the way I wouldn't have loved myself. I'm not just talking about, I don't deserve it. Nah. I'm talk, no, I'm talking about the plans I got. I be having plans. I split the verb. I did. I have plans, and God will because of the massiveness of his love, edit them drastically, drastically. And it feels like hate. Ah, I wish I had some help today at Epiphany. And, and, but, but, but when I let time go on a little longer, oh, oh, God, oh, that's, that's what you... But in the moment, I'm so, listen, I'm like, God, I planned this out. I spent hours how to bring this before you. <laughs> but to know the love of Christ is, is, is this type of love. I'm going to tell you how he showed his love to his disciples sometimes. 
Because I think we have a split view of Jesus, discipleship, and love, right? Jesus, this is funny. Peter was like, Jesus, you ain't going to the cross. You ain't going nowhere. Nah, Thomas, <laughs> you ain't going nowhere. And they joining him, like, he heckling Jesus and carrying on in front of the disciples. And Jesus stops. Then all the disciples say, uh-oh, he always stops. You know he's going to tell us something. Jesus turns around. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. For you are not seeking God's interests, but man's interests. Guess what Jesus was doing for Peter right there? Loving him. Because if, if he listened to Peter and didn't go to the cross, if the Bible says God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what he would have done is submitted to Peter's understanding of love and not submit to God's understanding of love and actually hate God and love Peter in a man's sense. One many times in my life, God gives me a railing rebuke and say, this is how I want to love you, son. This is how I'm committed to you. This is what I want to do in your life. And the way he does it, love always involves sacrifice. That's why the, the idea of agape, just meaning unconditional love, that's a good definition, or unconditional commitment. But it's a little bit bigger than that. It means seeking the highest of the highest good for another person. Now, the highest of the highest good for us, sometimes and many times and most times, is stuff that we think is low good because God's kingdom is backwards. Up is down and down is up. <laughs> and so because of that, because of that idea, God, the way he loves us is weird and spooky. It's weird to us. But to God, he's like, man, I love these cats. I love them to death, even though they, they ignore. But, and I love that about God. And I am learning by God's grace to accept all of the facets of love that he chooses to love me with. When he says no to me in prayer, um, um, experiencing him is sometimes taking an L with the no. That's experiencing God. Sometimes he'll say yes, and we celebrate that. But I want to learn how to celebrate when God says no. When he keeps closing doors for me, I want to learn how to celebrate that. Um, 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 and, or when he says wait, and I'm frustrated like my youngest son and wanting what I want now. But again, God is a good steward of the direction that he gives us in our life. But the destiny of the greatest point of destiny in the life of the Christian is the transformation of your soul. That's divine purpose. That's your divine destiny. Then he ends it. We're going to close here. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you, it's another purpose, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this, this is only used, this fullness of God idea, is only used other time in Colossians chapter 1, where it says the fullness of God, God was pleased to cause the fullness of God to dwell in Jesus in bodily form. Now, this is not the same thing as the incarnation. However, this is a powerful statement. He says that you may be filled with the fullness of who God is. Now, the word filled there doesn't mean you're a, like a glass and God pours water into you and you fill you up. And we'll see in, in, in Ephesians 5.18, I'll explain this even more when we get there, is it means to be under control of something. Here, he wants us to be under control of his relative attributes. And the specific one he wants us to be under the control of is love. Because he wants you rooted and grounded in it. And then he wants you to know it and be blown away by it. And, 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 so, and, so, and so God wants us to be rocked by his love and let it control us. It's interesting that before he's going to do a doxology, which we'll just do those verses next week. And then he's going to go into a chapter that talks all about what it looks like to be obedient to that. But he prays, he prays for that to be happening in the lives of people. So I pray that God will fill us with the fullness of who he is, that we would be under his control, um, that, 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 that we would choose to be under his control, and that we would allow the crevices and cracks of our heart to be open to him. I like this whole passage in the NLT, and I'm going to close. It says, he says in the New Living, he says, this, this is the same verses that we've just gone through. He says, 
we think of all this. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. He says, and may have the power to understand, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great for you to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Father, we thank you for saving us <clears throat> by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. You have transformed us. You have changed us. God, I, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would, you, you, you would make, you would, you would help us to, to, to really begin to open up all of the closed places in us. I know all of us have them, God. And, and it's exciting to see you, you speak and span our souls with your glory. <laughs> we love you so much, God. And God, I know we don't act like it all the time, but we do love you, God. And we want to be responsive to your love. And I pray, God, that we as a community, we as a community would be able to grasp this, experience this, that our lives would not be a view, your truth, as dry and dead, but the reality of the Word of God being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the joints and the marrow, even between the soul and the spirit, that that would be a reality for us. And um, God, we want to walk with you. We want to walk with you. We want to walk with you, God. And we want to have a real Christian life that's marked by experiencing you over and over and over and over again. And we know we that experience will be consummated when we spend eternity with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.